Oh, yeah. Got some good response. Well, I know you expect this out of me because I'm a pastor and all, and I guess you're in some sense supposed to say this, but I, I really mean it. Uh, I cannot think of any better way to celebrate Christmas than with God's people with you this morning as we do declare glory to God in the highest as we've had children come forward and I'm sure when I preach just like last night there'll be babies crying wanting to get out of here Uh, all the kids my kids in particular are all thinking about presents because I was the cruel father who said we will open after church yes Hey, I laid out the options. Two of them did not want to get up at 6 a.m., so that was great. Well, this morning, uh, we don't always get to celebrate Christmas on the Lord's Day, but we coincide the birth of our Savior as we remember the resurrection of our Savior. And this morning, we're going to conclude our series, As It Is Written, Tales of a King from Isaiah. And we've been looking um, particularly at the advent of Christ. And advent simply means arrival. And as we have explored from the prophetic word of Isaiah, we have looked in remembrance of our Savior's birth. But we find ourselves also in between the times as we await His second coming as well. And in the first message of that series, I kicked us off and we looked at the holiness of the king. That this king who is coming is righteous and he is just and he's coming to deal with sin. The second Sunday of Advent, we had Joshua come forward and he preached to us and called us to trust in the child. The child who is to be a sign of deliverance. And then for the last two Sundays, Pastor Jamin called us to look to the unexpected king. That this king who is coming would not come as one would expect, but nevertheless he would come and meet our greatest need. And so this morning I'm going to draw our attention to Isaiah chapter 61 and invite you to turn in your Bibles there. And in Isaiah 61 we are going to be exhorted, we are going to be reminded, we're going to reflect on the good news the good news of the Lord's favor that has come to us in Christ the King. And so on the basis of this good news, I want to exhort us this morning to greatly rejoice, to lift up our voices as we close. We'll sing joy to the world, but to greatly rejoice in the truths of this passage. And I want to exhort us and encourage us as we carry on the rest of our day, whether we're opening presents, eating more food, that we would reorient our hearts around Christ as we celebrate Christmas this day. This morning we begin by seeing that God's favor, God's favor that He has brought to you and to me, is seen in the mission of the King. See, throughout the book of Isaiah, there has been an expectation building, an anticipation built toward a great rescue of God's people. See, Israel at this time was blinded by her sin, hardened in her heart. She was enamored with the power of the surrounding nations. You could say it like this, that Israel was cloaked in darkness. 
But Isaiah promises. Isaiah, like a resounding gong, continues to hit that drum that there is a day coming. That there is glory coming. There is a light that is going to shine again. And in chapter 60, Isaiah says this, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. But the question just begins to linger. How is this glory going to return? How is this going to happen? How will God's glory shine upon Israel again? Who can turn this dark and grim situation around? Maybe this morning you're asking the same question. Maybe you look at the world and you see the darkness that cloaks even the righteous remnant, the church. We're so small, right? What are we going to do? How can we change what is happening in the world? Can there really be any hope? Will God's glory ever return to the earth? Well, so often we're tempted, though, aren't we? When we see the darkness, the grim of the world, we're tempted to give in, to find safe haven, maybe like Israel, by linking arms with the rulers of this world and buying into the world's values. Okay, if we can't fight them, we'll join them. Will bind to the promises of the world that you can have happiness and a wholeness of life apart from Christ. But where I want to draw our attention to, and what we need most, not just this Christmas season, but the news that we need to bring to the world, is the news that Isaiah shared with Israel. There is a king coming, and he is on a mission to make everything right. This king is mentioned here in chapter 1, or verse 1 of chapter 61. And he declares that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him and that he has been anointed. It's worthwhile knowing that this is kingly language. The only time you actually find in the Old Testament of one being endowed with the Spirit and being anointed is when the king is anointed for his service over Israel. Furthermore, we see that this kingly figure who comes, he's not, he's not just coming in the power of Yahweh, the one true God, but he's also a prophet, bringing a message of hope. He's a prophetic king. And we see this, that he's going to come and herald good news. Look in verse 1. What has he been anointed? What has he been enthroned to do? To bring good news to the poor, we see. He has sent me, this king says, to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This one who is coming, this king who is coming, is also going to declare good news. He's going to tell us of his mission. But I want you to notice something in this text. Who is it that this is good news for? 
Who is it that the king is coming to seek? Notice here that he says that this good news is for the poor. The poor. And yes, you should hear that on uh, how that would land on your ears immediately. Thinking the impoverished, the oppressed, those who have nothing. But there's an underlying theme there as well. And I would say that this is more primary. Those who are poor in spirit, as Jesus would later say. We see this spiritual component in the next phrase. What has he come to do? He's come up to bind up, right? He's come to bring healing. But what kind of healing is he doing? Healing of the heart. Those who are brokenhearted. He's coming to liberate. He's, he's coming to, to break the chains of those who have been enslaved. This message of hope is couched in the language of physical oppression. Because often it is those who lack who see their true spiritual need. Those who are poor, Jesus says, are much more likely to receive the good news. Because it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because those who are broken and afflicted, they see the darkness much clearer. Those who don't see their need, they don't hear this as good news. So who is the poor? Who is the poor in this passage? I like what John Oswalt says. Who are the poor? Those who are so broken by life that they have no more heart to try. Those who are so bound up in their various addictions that liberty and release are just a cruel mirage. Those who think that they will never again experience the favor of the Lord. Or see his just vengeance meted out against those who have misused them. Those who think that their lives hold nothing more than ashes, sackcloth, and fainting heaviness of despair. These are to whom the servant Messiah shouts. Good news. Good news. Maybe this is you this morning. Are you alone? Maybe you came here because you did not have Christmas with anyone by the way that's why we gather that is why this is the sweetest time because we are the people of God we are here celebrating the feast of Christ and anticipating his kingdom to come and you will not do it alone we will be a people together and that is why this gift of family is better than any gift because it's an everlasting family who will last forever, and we will be the poor who have had our mourning turned to joy. Maybe you're overwhelmed with guilt and shame this season. You've made poor decisions this year. You're thinking about a year yet gone by and how it might not have turned out the way you thought it would. Maybe you're reaping the consequences for poor decisions, decisions that you've made over and over, and you, and you feel the weight or maybe your sins have enslaved you. The passions of your lusts. And, they have, and, and, and you, you think about your sin, you think about liberty from it, and, and, and like John Oswald said, it's just a cruel mirage. And you're fleeing from these, and yet you find that they overtake you over and over, and it seems that victory seems so far out of reach. This is the good news that is for you. This morning we're reminded that the king doesn't just shout good news, though. 
He doesn't just come and say, good news, good news, good news. No, he does something with his announcement. He's going to reverse the fortunes of those who hurt. Instead of mourning, we're going to replace our sorrow with gladness. And the picture here is marvelous. The picture here is of getting ready and getting dressed, having a makeover to go to a banquet. Notice the language here. He says he's going to grant those in Zion a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. You know that, that theme in the, in, the, in the scriptures? Those who mourn and they throw ashes on their face, mourning with sackcloth and ashes, no more. But no, what will be placed on your head is a beautiful headdress fit for a priest. Not only that, you're going you're gonna to pour the oil of gladness. Oil was something like um, cologne or perfume, you might say. It would, it would help uh, bring in some, some goodness and smooth out the wrinkles in your face. It was body treatment. You're going to put on a new robe. It's called the garment of praise. And so the picture here is of a makeover. Of one who is being decked out for a grand party. And they're going to be one not tossed to and fro, not one who's easily upturned, but they're going to be called oaks of righteousness, a planting that is rooted and it can never be moved. These blessings are all summed up in a phrase, though. A phrase. Look at this. Verse 2. The year of the Lord's favor. This phrase comes from Leviticus. Leviticus, when the Lord declared a time of jubilee would come. That every seventh year, get this, all debts would be reconciled. All debts would be swiped clean. And everyone would be reconciled back to whatever they had lost. Well, this phrase is being used in a far greater way because when the king comes, the time of clearing all debts will be here. The time of making all things restored will come. And so this is the mission of the king. As we read in the Gospels, it is the mission of the, of, the, of the Christ to come and to seek and save that which is lost. And so this Christmas, we're reminded of the mission of this Savior who was born. And so what is this mission going to accomplish? What does this time of favor tangibly look like? Well, we see this in verses 4 through 9. Oftentimes, as Christians, when we think of what Christ has done for us, we often just think of them in spiritual terms, don't we? We think of the fact that our sins have been forgiven, that our rebellion and rejection of God's loving rule and authority has been covered. And although that is good, that is primary, that is foundational, there is another component to the good news. See, that is, that is the cleansing that must take place for us to enter the holy presence of God. But when Christ comes, when his favor is realized in its full sense, there is going to be a physical component to this kingdom. We're going to be received into a physical kingdom like a king with a banquet and all these things because we have been forgiven. And I want you to see this. Look at how he talks in verses nine through or four through nine. Look in verse four. What's going to happen? You're going to have a new city rebuilt. You're going to dwell in a new city. In the book of Revelation, we see a new Jerusalem that comes down. Heaven is going to come down onto earth. The prophets anticipate. The apostles write. 
that the earth is going to be burned up with fire. But it's not to destroy it completely, but to renew it, to purify it. There's going to be a city that comes down, and we're going to dwell in it. Just imagine all the good things of this life. Then that might be easy this Christmas day. You're going to share maybe in a meal with family and friends, enjoy gifts. These things are just foretastes. Foretaste of the reality of what the kingdom will be like. The joy that has come to the world. Verses 5 and 9 speak of how the mighty, who those in prominence now, things are going to be turned upside down. Notice in verse 5, strangers will tend to your flocks, foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. Verse 9, their offspring shall be known among the nations, their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them, and who's the them? God's people, will acknowledge them, and they, that they are the offspring that the Lord has blessed. Have you ever wondered that? We gather here this morning as the people of God. And yes, if someone were to be driving through or maybe they poke their head in who don't know Christ, they might look and say, what a pitiful group of people. Look how small these people are. Oh, I want grandeur and greatness. And, you, and, and maybe you get to speak to that person. You say, yes, we may be small, but we are the Lord's people. You sure don't look like you're the Lord's people. If you're the Lord's people, why are you so lonely? Why are you so downcast? Why don't you have the things that the world, the kings of the world have? If your Lord's so powerful, why doesn't He do for you? Well, on this day, they will all acknowledge them. They will all acknowledge them. Verse 6, what's going to happen? You shall be called the priest of the Lord. These people are going to be like priests mediating the blessings to the world. The end of verse 6 and 7. The wealth and glory of the nations is going to be ours. Oh, you think that's yours? No, that's our Heavenly Father's. He's just loaning it out to you. Are you be, going to be found a good steward? One day, all the things that are the kings are going to be His people's. And these are the promises that we find. And He says it's going to be a double portion that they shall possess. He's speaking of the land promises here, but He says, My, I'm going to provide a land and it's going to be double than what you had. And that word for double is kind of a, a euphemism for more than you could ever imagine. It's going to abound and overflow in greatness. Oh, it's going to be better than the land of Israel. What would he find? We find that in the New Testament, it's the world. You're going to be heirs of the world, Romans 4.1. The children of Abraham, they indeed will be as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore because God is bringing in the nations. And all those who bow their knee to this king, they will inherit the earth. Verse 8, these promises are sure. Why are they sure? Do you ever waver? You sometimes say, yes, Chase, I see these things, but you're reading out of Isaiah. That's what? At least 400 years before Jesus, and now we're 200 or 2,000 years plus removed from these things. How can I be sure that these are true? I've been waiting, I've been hearing, but I don't see. The reason we can be sure is because these promises are rested in the character of God. Look in verse 8. For I, the Lord, that's Yahweh, love justice. And I hate robbery 
and wrong, and I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Why are the promises sure? Because of God's character. He is one who loves justice, loves righteousness. And what does that mean? God loves making things right and not leaving things undone. That's what he says. I will make them or give them their recompense. Oh, you think the world is getting away with whatever they do? Remember, the Lord loves justice. And he hates robbery. He hates wrongdoing. He hates iniquity. He's that holy king of Isaiah 6. And we, the people who, like Isaiah, who have beheld the glory of God, we say, I am, or woe is me, for I am unclean. And yes, I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. But it is that broken and poor spirit at that moment by which we find the favor of the Lord. Church family, we are in between the times first and second coming of Christ, and in some sense these promises are already ours. We're priests unto the Lord right now, mediating these promises to the world. Therefore, we are to be like our King, and we are to be those who herald this good news, the good news that the year of the Lord's favor has come. Nobody's saying, I don't see this. I don't, I don't feel the year of the Lord's favor. Let me just remind you that the world was in darkness before Christ came. The only chance you would know of forgiveness of your sins, the only chance you would know of any hope of life to come, was if you happened to journey into Jerusalem. I don't know about you, I've never made it there. Unless you came and you became a Jew, there was no hope for you. But now that Christ has come and the wise men came from a far land and they came bringing gifts, oh no, now the good news has gone into the world. And so this is what Paul reminds the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, just listen. Paul says, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Why? The grace of God, the gospel, the good news that you receive, Gentiles, those who are non-Jews, those who are in distant foreign lands, don't take this for granted. Why? And he quotes Isaiah. Isaiah 49, actually, but it picks up the same things. In a favorable time, I listened to you. Before Christ's birth of a Savior, the Lord did not listen to the nations. But now's the favorable time. He says, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. And so Paul says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is the era of grace that is abundant. So when we, we sit here and we're waiting, Lord, when are you going to act? He says, I'm not slow in my promises. I'm patient. Not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And brothers and sisters, we are beneficiaries of the favorable time. Because if the time had ended before we believed, we would be dead in our sins. Or if you were born before the Christ, you would have been dead in your sins. But this one has come. And so church family, we're to embody the mission of the King. We're to uh, 
mediate, in a sense, these blessings of justice and hate iniquity. And we're to bring this good news of the Lord's favor to those who are hurting. And brothers and sisters, that's why you hear from your pastors and the ministers of this church pushing us out of our comfort zone to reach people in our neighborhoods. That's why you're hearing us emphasize things about getting involved in the jail. Who who are the people in the jail? Those who think there is no chance of liberty. No chance that God would forgive me. Choices Resource Center. Individuals who have had children and don't know how they're going to care for them. Have no means, did not have a godly mother and father to care for them. They see no hope. And their only hope they see is what the world says, hey, you don't have to take that baby. We can take it out of you. No, we go. We have fall festivals and we invite the neighborhood to feast on our dime. And if you were there, you saw people, didn't you? And I was so proud of many of our members who were loving. They were like Jesus who takes off his garment of prestige and he gets down on his knees and he washes their feet. We say there's good news. People love you. Because we have been loved by our Savior. We look at the children and student ministry on a Wednesday night and the neighborhoods coming in, the football ministry. If you get close, you're going to see broken people. Or you can just stay afar. And you can say, you know, I got my blessing, I'm good. Let them come to me. That's not what the Lord did. He left his throne of glory and he came and he was born in a manger. He left his glory to come seek us. And he says, I've sought you, now you go and declare the good news to others. And why do we want this? And this is where we're going to close. Because we want the world to praise the king. And I want you to see that in this passage, the praise of the king is the hope of the, of the world. Look in verses 10 and 11. We see this first person singular. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. Who is that? My soul shall exalt in my God. It's the king of verse 1. But do you know what he's doing? He's leading the people in worship. He's leading them to exalt. He is the representative of God's people. And so with the king, we too rejoice in him. And we are to say the same things as our king. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God. Why? Now this is really cool. So if you haven't been paying attention to anything about presents or food, check in just now, okay? I can feel it when you're dozing, all right? Wake up, all right? Here we go. Got two verses, all right? Look at what he says. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. And you say, okay, what? Is that not what he heralded that he would do for us? Verse 3, it's called the garment of praise. Look what else happens to this king. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. What did he promise and declare that he would bring to his people? To give them a beautiful headdress. 
I will praise my God. Here's what's happening. The king is coming, and he says, I share my blessings with you. I share my headdress, and I give you one like it. I give you my robe, and I cloak you. I'm going to give you my kingdom. And so we, with the king who has paved the way for the joy set before him, endure the cross, we too walk down that same path and we know that exaltation and glory awaits us. And this is the hope, verse 11. What is going to happen? The splendor of the king, the righteousness, the praise of the Lord is going to fill the earth and it's just as sure as the created order. Look, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to be sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. And you know what this is? This is a picture of you and me. We're little sprouts all over the nation. Pop, 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 just popping up, okay? And yeah, we're, we're that little kernel. It's right there in the fall or the spring, and you just start to see that little shoot come up. It's vulnerable. It can easily be trampled upon. But yet, this sprout is going to be called oaks of righteousness. Verse 3, the planting of the Lord. And He is going to raise up a people who are going to fill the earth. And as the earth is filled with His praises, the blessings come to the people. So this is our hope. And so by now, I know some of you have already opened some presents. My kids are eagerly waiting for me to finish. They asked me this morning, now how long is this going to be? <laughs> You're going to share in joy, aren't you? You're going to share the joy of giving and receiving. And I just want to remind us that, that we're able to do this because of Christ. And it is a foretaste, just a glimmer, just a sip. To see and taste that the Lord is good. And as we carry on our day, I want to encourage us to give praise and honor to our King who gave Himself for us at His first coming. And that we would remember this is the favorable time. And just as Jesus stood up His first time in the synagogue, He opened up as Pastor Mike read to us in Luke 4, and He opened up to this passage in Isaiah 61. And he sat down and he looked at the crowd and he says, Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is cause for good news. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the, the music team to come up here. And we're going to sing Joy to the World. And I want us to sing, okay? Let's sing Joy to the World, the Lord is come. All right? Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, now's the favorable time. And that's good news. That the hurting, that those who are broken, who are feeling the curse, the weight of sin upon them, those who aren't experiencing the blessing we are right now. Lord, I pray that you would soften their hearts as you have plopped this church right here at 1111 Allison Lane, that it is like a lighthouse in the midst of a storm. Oh, may we not be the ones who say, hey, figure it out yourself, but may we be the ones coming out saying, come on in, there's plenty of room.
come to the light as He is the light. And you will find rest. Thank you, Jesus, for not leaving us in the darkness. By being, by, but by coming, becoming a man, the God-man, and rescuing us from Adam's sin and our sin. And Lord, I pray that as we sing joy to the world, that is our prayer as we leave here this morning. That we would say, joy come to the world as they come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing joy to the world.